Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where we explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Farah Fortune, founder and director of African Star Communications and well-known businesswoman behind many successful corporate and celebrity brands. She's better known to her clients in the industry as the pit bull in heels and her email signature says Defender of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. When I met Farah, we were sitting next to each other at a Women of Worth networking dinner with the inimitable Margaret Hirsch. And what struck me about Farah was that she was both incisive and humble at the same time. Welcome, Farah, to the Win at Work and Life podcast. I look forward to exploring how you have shown up as a woman in a man's world and how you are changing the women's empowerment narrative. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So tell us how you started your African Star Communications PR firm in a very male-dominated public relations environment. Um, I started the business initially because I really wanted to have a better paycheck. I had um, so many responsibilities in my life, single mom. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I was financially stable. And that was my initial understanding of what business was because I had really no experience in it. Um, and I got into PR because I absolutely loved it. But I also seen that at the time there was a gap for especially celebrity PR. There were only, if I'm correct, there was one company and one individual at the time in 2008 who actually did celebrity PR in South Africa. Um, and the individual was Andrew Farr. I, he was an amazing publicist and I learned so much from him. Just, I'd never met him and I, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago, but I'd never met him, but I followed his career and what he was doing. And I said, that's what I want to do because there's so few and there's no woman doing it. Um, and if there was, I didn't see that. And I decided, okay, I'm, I'm, let me go and find funding for this business. And I couldn't get money anywhere. Banks wouldn't give me even a loan or anything else. I decided, nope, that's it. I'm just going to start this business on my last paycheck. And when I got my last paycheck from my job, I paid the rent and the bills and everything else. And I literally had a thousand rand to play with. Decided to take that thousand rand and I registered with Cipro and I took the rest of the money to make these little business cards that weren't great but I think I still have one or two laying around but you know like I always say they were my business cards and I started this business and I got really really um I'd say lucky through a through a good networking opportunity and one of my first corporate jobs was through AIG um and that's really how the business started and AIG is an insurance company it is an insurance it, it is an insurance company um and funnily enough I'm actually it's so weird. I was actually saying to them, you know, AIG were the first people to give me corporate work in this business almost 15 years ago. And I've just been invited to give a talk there tomorrow, actually. So it's, it's, I feel like I've come full circle oh, in here. <laughs> how exciting and how beautiful, especially right? in Women's Month. Exactly. Um, you know, it's come full circle. Exactly. It's always fascinating to, to think back at how we've journeyed to get to here and yeah. to remember uh, the first jobs that put you on the map the first clients who put you on the map, and maybe those pieces of advice that you mm -hmm. carry with you, the wisdom that you carry with you from 
people who shared. I mean, who's the woman who shared a piece of advice with you that you you still carry with you today? I think a lot of women, but I mean, I always carry my mom's advice. She she said to me, I, I remember in, after the AIG job, work dried up for quite some time. And, you know, I was really trying to make this business work, but I was really struggling to pay bills. And I remember sitting at my at a table and my, and my mom, you know, standing there leaning over the chair and I just burst out crying. And, I, and she said, what's wrong? And I was telling her, you know, how frustrating it is. And she said, because you're chasing money. She said, you're never going to get it. You're going to keep chasing it. If you chase money, you will keep chasing it. So chase your passion and let the money follow. And it made so much sense at the time, even though it was really hard to understand how this money was going to come. But I did that. And, and that's what happened. I chased the passion and the money followed. Um, but I think there's so many women in the world that, you know, have these amazing quotes or just have these really great careers that you aspire to because... You know, we don't have, especially in my community, I'm colored. There's very few colored role models in my community. And that for me was always something. I never wanted to be anyone's role model, but I definitely wanted to show people that there's a way out. Yes. Or a way up. Or a way up. I think a way, way up is a lovely, yes. lovely way to put yes. it. Um, but I think what you're saying is that your mom helped you to connect head with yes, heart. definitely. And passion is this engine, this emotional mm -hmm. engine. Energy. And, and the energy. And that's what clients and people are attracted to, mm -hmm. is the energy after all. Definitely. I mean, an idea is an idea. But if you can ignite it with the intention yeah. of the energy, of it changes everything. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. So what barriers to entry have you experienced? You mentioned the banks. Yes. Um, that it was a male-dominated mm -hmm. environment. What else kind of got in your way that you had to overcome? I think just... Being, uh, like I said, being in such a male-dominated industry was one of my biggest obstacles. I think the, the other ones was really understanding the field a lot more. Because it's like anything, when you go and study, I studied PR. But it, it you know, until you're in there and you understand how the industry works, it's very different from being on paper and how PR works on paper. And I think that was something I had to understand. And networking, networking was a big thing for me. Because I was going into an industry, I didn't really know a lot of people. So getting into the right parties, getting into the right events, the right conferences, all those things were, were a little bit tough. I mean, I spent, and I still do spend so much time networking because I don't think that ever stops. You can never stop. You can never meet enough people. You can never have enough knowledge. Um, well, so yeah, sales side. No, definitely. And it's part of, you know, putting yourself in uncomfortable spaces mm -hmm. with people you don't know mm -hmm. because it's people who provide opportunities at the end of the day. Of course. And I think that that's what many young female entrepreneurs don't realize is that it's one thing to have a computer and be on social media, mm -hmm. but it's actually connecting with people, people and getting to know them and them getting to know you. And I have a piece of advice that I give young professionals and it's be interested mm -hmm. and be interesting. And for me, those are two very important pointers. And that means be interested in how somebody got to where they yes. got to and how they got there and of why course. they do what they do and what is it that they do. Because the more you ask questions, people like attention. Of course, and they love. And the thing is, you know, if you also, mentors are so important. I always feel like mentors, especially in the early days of your career, are so important. And They've been there. They understand it. They know what works. Listen. If somebody's giving you advice, as long as it's 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 good critical advice and it's not insulting, 
Mm. Um, I think you really need to understand and it's, you know, how that works for you. Take that advice mm. to heart, change certain things. I mean, I remember going into a meeting and someone said, um, and coming out and, and one of my staff members actually said, I know you want to explain, but sometimes I felt like you were maybe talking over them a little bit and interrupting. And I said, you know what, you're right. But it's because I, I wanted to get all of this out mm. and I had to teach myself how to, okay, you talk, I talk, you talk, I talk. So we have a communication. A um, yes, a conversation yeah. and co communication flows better instead of me just trying to preempt what you're trying to say all the time. So listen, somebody telling you something doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to put you down. It just means they're giving you some advice. And also we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And we only have a very narrow field of experience in our lives. Yes. And we come through childhood into adulthood with our parents narrow life experience mm -hmm. and so we have to make the circle bigger sure in order to acquire more information more contacts more knowledge um you know that's important but it's, it's actually acknowledging that there's you've never you've never arrived mm -hmm. you're always in the process of becoming of course i don't think you can ever put yourself in a position where as an entrepreneur for me anyway i've i've never felt like i could say okay I, i'm done i know everything i can do like i've never felt that because you know it's always that 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 quote and i i, I take it very seriously if you are the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room oh yes yeah. that's a lovely one i love that saying but wouldn't it be boring mm -hmm. If you got to the place where you knew everything of and course. you knew how to do everything. In fact, I'd be jumping ship at that point <laughs> yeah. and shifting careers. And what are you doing? <laughs> but it's about evolving. It's like I always, you know, entrepreneurs are very much like pop stars. The longer, and I especially equate it to a, if you look at a career like Madonna's who started in the 80s and it's 2022 and she's still going. Why is she still going? Because she's constantly had to rebrand you know reinvent. and reinvent so it's the same thing with the entrepreneur you have to rebrand reinvent do all the things that are going to make sure that you stay relevant not only with your new industry but within you know what you're trying to do even in other industries um, your name always has to be the first person people think of when they're thinking of your industry specifically um, so I think it's 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 that thing being an entrepreneur you have to evolve all the time what keeps on going around in my head is that you started your business in 2008, mm -hmm. which was just at the beginning of people creating their own websites, yes. blogging, mm -hmm. and the early stages of social media. Yes. So you weren't just learning how to build a business, mm -hmm. but you were having to mm -hmm. use tools that nobody knew how to yes. use and get really good at using social media, websites, yes. and all those things. So you had two learning curves going on at once I think I think definitely I mean for me it was it's such a it was such a learning moment and social media you're very right it was just coming out and I and I I think a lot of us especially um, the gen x you know we we come from a, a society where we've we've had to grow up with not having any of those things and then having to learn those things as we're going into our adulthood and then still learning more as we're going along where as my daughter who's 17 has been born into the world of social media she's been born into digital you know the iPads the cell phone the all of these she was things born with a cell phone in one hand yes, and, and your wallet in the other <laughs> definitely knowing the pin um and i think also just you know under Understanding that was was really important for me, but you're very right. We have had to learn so much in our careers in the last 15, 20 years 
with the evolvement of so much going on from a digital perspective. Um, and I even look at PR now and I see how much it's, it's gone into the digital world. And, you know, the, because of the amount of magazines and newspapers that are closing down and everything's going online. So even my career, I've, I'm still learning now. I'm busy learning a digital course at the moment in terms of social media and just understanding how my career is evolving. I have a question for you. you in, you're in the business of positioning other people, yes. businesses as well as individuals, celebrities. Sure. How important is it for the business owner, the entrepreneur, to position themselves? It's really important for the entrepreneur to position themselves, but it's also important to understand where your position needs to be. Is it a public profile that you need? Is it something where it's, it's, you just need to be known in your industry? Um, and I think sometimes, also, I look at a lot of entrepreneurs now and it's a very glamorous or social thing for them. And that's great if that's how your brand needs to look. But you need to back that up. So if you are looking great on social media, but you're not providing the work, um, at some point, someone on social media is going to call you out on that. Mm -hmm. So it's also a case of providing balance uh, for yourself as well as your social media presence, as well as just your presence in your in your industry. Um, Definitely brand yourself. I think it's important. It's so extremely important to brand yourself because that's what we look for these days. I mean, how many times have you met somebody? I mean, I do it all the time and I, the, I meet them. We have a chat to tell me what they do. I'm networking and I'll go away and I'll Google them. You know, it's so important, which is what we do. And it's so important for me because I think it provides me an understanding of, okay, this is what this person can provide. Let me see if they can provide something else. What can I provide to them? You know, how does this relationship build through networking? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's extremely important. And I guess it's the consistency as well. Mm -hmm. So you're not just going to Google them on Facebook. You're yes. going to look at Instagram, Instagram Twitter. and Twitter and yes. LinkedIn. Yes. And you want to get a comprehensive picture mm -hmm. that there's, there's a, a common message, mm -hmm. uh, a consistent standard, that there's some depth. Yes. So it's not just about uh, taking selfies at um, you know, yes. fancy functions, yes. but are you actually writing articles on LinkedIn? Uh -huh. Are you writing interesting blogs that show your thought leadership in mm -hmm. your niche? So being in business is more than just showing up at, at yep. fancy places. It's, it's about the depth of what you do. And I always say to, to young people, so this would be to any young professionals, <laughs> young women who are listening right now, is start building a bank Yes. of credible uh, work, showing the work you do for your clients, but also how you think about the world, sure. you know, sharing your thoughts, uh, because it shows that you, you have something between your yes. ears, that you have depth, <laughs> yes. that, that you're not just, you know, um, what, did they, what did they say? And this is, it, it sounds quite rude, taken out of context <laughs> here, but I was reading the Sunday Times yes. um, on Sunday. I bought it specifically because it was Women's Day and I wanted to see what the commentary was. And I think okay. the segues nicely into the NPO work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And there was a comment from one of the journalists in a, a piece that said, and she was quoting a placard from a, um, a rally around women's rights. And the placard said that we are more than faces and vaginas. <sighs> so much. And I thought it was quite a powerful statement that... Mm -hmm. Um, because women can be um, pigeonholed mm -hmm. into that past conditioning, centuries of past conditioning that you need to look pretty, you need to look nice, and, you know, obviously the sexual side of being a woman. But 
you believe in women empowerment and you've stepped beyond just running your business to setting up an NPO because of period poverty in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this actually cuts women down at the knees before they even begin. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the pad run. Um, One of the reasons that I started the pad run was very much, um, you know, I had for years before that always asked my friends, you know, don't get me a present, but buy me a toiletry bag with a toothbrush and a packet of pads and a washcloth. And those are the things that I would donate to girls' homes um, on my birthday. So it was uh, something I'd done privately for years. Um, And then during the pandemic 2020, I had always been so aware of period poverty. But I started seeing how the pandemic was starting to affect the woman who relied on NPOs to give them sanitary wear. And there were so many NPOs that were refusing to go into rural areas because they were worried from the safety aspect in terms of COVID itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were there were NPOs going in, but there were other NPOs who didn't have the capacity to do that because they, their workers wouldn't come in because obviously of contact. And, it was, you know, in the beginning in 2020, we all just thought going, <laughs> going near someone we were going to die. So it was, it was really, really impacting how um, sanitary wear was being given to young girls and women who really, really needed it. And we started, uh, you know, I got my social media followers together and I said to them, you know, if you can just donate a hundred rand, like, or anything, even if it's 20 rand or 50 rand, just at least a hundred rand, because a hundred rand will buy me at least 10 packs of pads, you know? And we raised a hundred thousand rand and we were able to donate 10,000 packs of pads across the country. And the more and more I got into it and the more I started reading and researching and reading government papers, not only from here, but from India, which is, is, has exactly the same problem as us. I, I, I feel like India, India is a replica of us. We are, you know, our rape Just stats. On yeah, scale. basically yeah. our rape stats are, are literally very similar. Our period poverty stats are very similar. Um, and what affects young girls and women, again, very similar from a cultural perspective. And I realized how deep this problem really was. And it's one of those things, I may not change the world by myself, but I can definitely have a hand in trying to um, and just doing my bit. And that's how the NPO for the pattern really started. And we just started collecting um, sanitary pads, but we were going to a lot of rural areas and we were getting 10, 11 year old pregnant girls wow. coming to collect sanitary pads from us for after they give birth. And usually we give, we try and give two packs a month to each lady. And for the pregnant girls, we always give a lot more because after you have a birth, if you've had a child, you know that, you know, for, for a good six weeks, you are completely bleeding out. And they were coming to get one pack of pads. And I was trying to say to them, do you understand that after you give birth, you're going to need more than this just one pack of pads? And they didn't. Because they didn't understand that they you have a monthly understand. period. Yes, they didn't understand. Not just the monthly, but how much you would bleed after you oh. give birth. <coughs> Sorry. But they also don't understand that you can fall pregnant again mm-hmm. straight after you've had a baby because there's no education on this. Yeah. Absolutely none. So sexuality education, of course. pregnancy education, menstruation. menstruation education. It is something that so many parents just avoid. Of course. And it doesn't matter where you are across the socioeconomic spectrum. It is. It can happen to anyone. <laughs> it, 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 it's a problem throughout because I've also written a book, Easy yeah. Answers to Awkward Questions. Um, you know, helping parents to have these critical sure. conversations. And it's not just one talk where you sit down and you go, right, 
let's have the talk. It's actually an ongoing conversation that starts from the time little ones are about three. And right now it's spring and the doves are jumping on top of each other Mm -hmm. and cooing greatly because they're mating. You know, this is an opportunity to discuss sexuality education. Definitely. And parents need to become bold and brave and have Mm -hmm. these conversations because if they don't, they leave their children at huge risk. And it's scary. Of course. I mean, we realize, I mean, if a 10 and 11 year old girl is coming to us, they didn't have consensual sex. They were raped. And for me, just seeing the amount of young girls that were in this position, because they didn't know that from the minute you have your period, you're able to reproduce. Um, And that's what sparked our period pouch workshops. And that's why we also not only just distribute sanitary wear, we actually go into homes, into communities. we, We don't go to schools as much. We actually go directly to the people because there's so many there's so many initiatives that go to schools already, but there's so many that don't go and sit in someone's actual community yeah. and have that conversation. To answer those, those questions, questions because children won't ask those Definitely. questions in a big group. Of course, and we do we do boy only workshops yes. for menstruation. So we teach them, you know, what happens when a girl gets a period, how, how does she put a pad on? We, we make the boys put pads on like outside their clothes. Because and children it's, learn in a concrete and way. And we don't show them what to do. We're just like, how do you think it goes on? And we've had boys that have been sticking it to their thigh because they're like, okay, maybe it catches the blood from there because we know it comes from there, but maybe it'll catch from there. Um, so they are so clueless. And, and it's because the conversations are not being had at home. And then we have girls workshops as well when the girls understand that they will get this period, but they don't know what it's for. They don't know when they're approximately supposed to get it. They don't know what happens after you get your period and how things change. Um, so our period pouch workshops are so important for us. We have them from the ages of 8 to 18 years old, um, just depending on the areas we go to. But they've been phenomenal, and the feedback of them has been great. It's, it's really made a difference so much in terms of how kids are communicating to their parents. Because even though we encourage the kids to come, we, t- we ask the parents, even if you just stay for 20 minutes, just listen to what we're talking to them about. And at the end of the workshop, boys or girls, we give them a period pouch pack, which is two packs of sanitary pads, um, a sweet treat, and um, a new pair of underwear as well in there. So we give that to the boys or girls, um, and, and that's what they walk away from besides just the workshop. We also try you know, so much to make them understand how much menstruation um, contributes to GBV and and I think people really have a big disconnect between having your period and how that affects GBV you know not being able to have sex with your husband in some cultures the husbands get really upset about that because they don't understand it therefore the GBV comes in so there it leads to violence it, it leads to so violence there's a demand that can't be met yes. And then yes. it leads to violence. Yes. So that really um, points to the fact that both men and women mm-hmm. don't have an understanding yeah. of menstruation. And, and the reason why we menstruate is yes. actually so that we can ovulate and have <laughs> exactly. children. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think once again, we talk about women being the victims of so many you know, centuries of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think back to those Victor- Elizabethan times, yes. not even Victorian times, and I you know, been watching things like The Spanish Queen oh, uh, on, on Netflix. <laughs> I love it. But, so. you know, those women were punished for not yes. being able to produce boys. Yes. And, and, and yet boy children, 
it's not the woman's yes, choice. It's, 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 it's what happens is determined by the man. By the man. <laughs> and so there's still so much basic education that's required because I'm pretty sure that we still have situations uh, where where a woman's husband is angry because she didn't produce yes, a son. A son, definitely. And then she goes on to have more and more children because there's this desperation that we need a boy. A boy. You know. Yes. Talking of children, uh, you have a daughter. I do. And she is in the sweet spot, of course, of your NPO. Yes. Because I think she's a preteen right course. now. So um, just moving away from, from your NPO for a moment, has she been an inspiration and, and part of your drive to succeed as a businesswoman? Um, well, first, I don't know if I call her a preteen. She's almost 18. and she oh, acts, she's almost 18? Yeah, oh, she's 17. Goodness, yes. she was younger. No, no, no. something old that I read. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was about 13. She is... Uh, you'd swear she was my mother. Um, she has always been a massive inspiration in everything I've done. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's been the MPO, whether it's been my company. She has always been my inspiration for everything. Um, and she is, you know, she's so amazing. She's so bright. She helps so much with the NPO. She is so knowledgeable about her body. And I love that because... I wasn't spoken to like that by my parents about how my body functioned in periods and sex. So when she was eight years old, I started having this conversation with her about sex and her body because I realized that a lot of abuse with children happens because they don't understand what the adult is doing to them. And I wanted to put my child in a position of power to understand that what you if and if it, God forbid, it ever happened to her, she understood what was happening. And also, I did not want my child to learn about menstruation or sex on the playground because that was where it was going to mess up. Um, so we have a brilliant relationship. We, we've taken years to work on. It's not been easy. It's been a lot of conversations between us just in terms of how do we communicate with each other? How do we talk to each other? If we're upset about something, how do we express that to the other person? If we've not been truthful about something, why have we not been truthful about that? And that works both ways for us, you know. Um, if I say something to her and I lie about it and she finds out she's very upset about it and I have to explain myself. And I think, you know, just having that kind of child who is so intellectually aware of who she is as a person for me has been such a blessing because she's taught me how to be a better parent and also just how to be a better person. So having her has been amazing because it's such a learning curve for me and we learn about each other every day. Because being a parent is not easy, especially when you have to do it by yourself. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, being a parent is, is a journey of becoming both <laughs> for you and for your child. Definitely. And I think that children are so often as much teachers to us as we mm -hmm. are teachers to them. But only if we are open to the learning. Of course. Because they don't come into this world empty vessels. No. They come in full of potential, full of wisdom. And it's up to us to help them to release that potential oh, yes. and that wisdom. So she's at that age where she's possibly going to study or yes. branch out into becoming an entrepreneur like her mum at <laughs> no, some point in time. what she wants to do with her life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, thinking about female entrepreneurs, what, is, what are some of your key pieces of advice that you would give to them? Because I'm an entrepreneur, a solopreneur. It's not an easy place to no, play in. Not. It sounds, you know, we're quite glib about the fact that we say things like, um, you know, our children are going to have 10 to 14 different careers by the time mm -hmm. they are 40. I mean, I wrote the book, Future Proof yes. Your Child, and that they are going to have a portfolio of careers 
And probably the majority of them will have to become entrepreneurs because mm -hmm. big businesses, and we've seen this with COVID, are going to drop the number of permanent people they employ. Sure. You can see it already. Yeah, you know, they're starting to, to uh, cancel real estate uh, contracts, take fewer mm -hmm. seats in a building because they know they don't have to employ people full time. Yes. So we're going to have a lot of contract work, the gig economy and all the rest. But people who are actually building their own businesses, mm -hmm. it requires a lot of grit and determination, doesn't it? It really does. It requires a lot of grit, a lot of determination, and I think just a lot of self-belief. I think one of the biggest things we forget in ourselves is the self-belief we should have of who we are as people. Um, and I think as an entrepreneur, that is, for me, it was one of the main things, just constantly believing in myself, because you will have the least amount of friends, I personally think, when you start a business, because you give up so much of your time to concentrate on this business. There's always a sacrifice. There's always a sacrifice. The money is a lot less coming in at first because now you're putting money in, you're not necessarily taking money out. And by that time, usually where you started, it's not usually a side hustle, it's it's your permanent job. So you lose a lot around you and you have to sacrifice. And you also have to relearn balance because it's that thing of making sure you have enough time for family, for friends, for yourself, for everyone else. So learning balance is a big thing as well. So I think that for me was, was one of my biggest things. But I think, you know, just in telling women, you know, what is the best advice? There's so many different pieces of advice you could give. But I think one of my most important ones is it doesn't matter what age you are. You can be an entrepreneur at any age. I think as women, we always feel like when we get to a certain age, we are told you're too old for this or you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be dressing like that or you shouldn't be going here. You shouldn't be doing. Why? Why? Why does age limit me? If I am capable at 65 years old of doing the same thing you are at 35, then what, what, what's the difference? So I think that's for me is the biggest thing is age should definitely not limit you as a woman because there are men out here in the 70s running the country. So please, you know, you're very <laughs> capable of doing anything you, you possibly want to do. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so you remind me of, of my slogan uh, for women at the moment, which is the only permission you need is your own. Yes, definitely. We, we, we really only need our own permission. That's why I say self-belief self is such an important thing for me. And I think just for women, because we, we're always told we have to, you have to grow up. You're more mature than him. And, and when you're young, you, you're more this. You have to do this. And it's so funny how we're more mature when we're young. But when we grow up, we're not capable of doing anything it's, it, according to society. So that really freaks me out all the time. It just puzzles me. But do it. Whatever age it is, start your business. Do what you feel you need to do. Because who is anyone else to tell you what you're capable of? And let's face it, you only have one life. That's you have it. to live it. That's it. And the cold hard truth is no one's coming to rescue you. So <laughs> they are not. They are really, really not. <laughs> so Farah, you are a much awarded 40 something. <laughs> You've had some incredible awards. Um, top uh, two male and guardians top 200 south africans in 2011 and 2012 uh, women in leadership award in in mumbai india from the women world leadership conference top 50 most impactful social innovators global listing uh, african women award 
Industry Excellence Award, and it goes on. And one of the more recent ones is the United Nations Chairwoman Awards 2019 yes. in New York mm -hmm. for your work within women in, the women empowerment field yes. from the UN in association with Trinity University. And then also in 2019, uh, that you, you were again awarded Africa's most influential woman in the SADC region. How does winning these awards help you to empower more women? It definitely gives me an opportunity to be amongst other women who have the same vision as me. And I think once you have women like that in numbers, the change is so inevitable because you get together and you can do so much more. I mean, we met through Margaret's dinner. And I mean, how long have we been going to Margaret's dinners? I think oh, I've been going for like four, like four years. years. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and it was the first other, time yeah. we met each other. And But I mean, I've been going for a number of years and, and the amount of women and phenomenal women I have met through those dinners. So that's really, really important to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with all these women. And these awards, they, they provide those platforms for me. They also provide a, a, um, a platform for me to say, look where I come from. Look what I did. I started this business on a thousand rand and I get to travel to India and Mauritius and all these other places to collect awards for the work that I've done for something I absolutely love. And I think that's important for me. For me, the awards aren't important. It's, the recognition is fantastic. Thank you. I, I, I truly appreciate it. And I truly appreciate that everything I have sacrificed has come to fruition. But I don't think it's the be all and end all of the work that I do, no. but it definitely gives me um, an opportunity to do so much more work and be so much more. And, and a, a part of me is, is really proud of, of the awards and the work that I've done because I get to show my daughter, okay, I wasn't here for dinner that night, but it was because I had to work. And look, because I had to work, this is what I've been able to get. And because of this award, someone has seen this and given me work because of it. Mm -hmm. um, so if those, you know, that's how I ever had to explain so many things to my child. And she's really proud of me. She's probably one of my biggest supporters mm -hmm. when it comes to winning anything. Um, and she's always so excited for me. And, you know, she'll bake a cake or she'll make scones and she'll be like, oh, you know, because you won your award or, or can we go out for dinner that you're paying for? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's really great, but I definitely think you cannot determine or, or determine your success on the awards that you've won. Absolutely. So just like you don't work just for the money because your mum taught you <laughs> yes. uh, to, to harness the passion and, and the heart yeah. uh, behind the idea, you also don't uh, run your business based on the energy created by, by the awards. Mm -hmm. But I really want to thank you, Farah, for being with us today and for really bringing to light that for every choice there's a consequence good or bad uh -huh. and that the only permission that you need is your own and thank you for using your position to influence and raise other women up do you have any final words for our <coughs> win at work and life audience um i'd say my final words for today would just be do what makes your heart happy because I think when you have that feeling in your heart, in your gut, that this is the right thing, this is what makes me happy, this is why I'm on this earth, do it. Because there's no rewind button on this thing called life. That's it. Once you press play, it only goes forward. You can't go back. So live forward. Living forward, though, doesn't mean it isn't going to be hard. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely and not. so as much as it might be 
your passion and make your heart feel full. Just know mm-hmm. that any endeavor is going, going to, to require tough. doing the hard yards. It's like an obstacle course. It's, you're going to get obstacles that you can do really well, and then there's other obstacles that are going to take you a little bit more time. But I think ultimately you will reach your end goal. I love that. An obstacle course. What a beautiful <laughs> analogy. Thanks again, Farah Fortune. If you want to connect with Farah, just Google her. She's <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> to our listeners, I would love to hear your takeaways from this podcast with our inspiring guest today. Drop your comments in the chat below or email me at info at Of course, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.